Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. Continuing to do this virtually, um, excited to have my next guest on, Wiley Robinson, the founder of Rumpel. Uh, great to have you on, Wiley. Thanks for, for doing this. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, Louise, I've been, I told you a little bit before we started recording, uh, you know, we've been doing this podcast for two years, always in person. And so it's a little bit of adjustment, I know, for, for everybody. So, you know, we're we're getting used to virtual, but it's still, for me, I, I was mentioning to you too, it's like, I'm getting to the point where I have, uh, let's do this. Let's hopefully, you know, yeah. we're doing our part, but hopefully this is soon uh, we can get back to it. So, um, you know, I always like to start, if you could give us a little overview of, you know, who you are, but also just the origin story of, of Rumpel and what the company is. Sure. My name is Wiley. I'm the founder and CEO of Rumpel. Uh, what Rumpel aims to do is, uh, introduce the world to better blankets. And what that means is we take a lot of the materials that you typically find in outdoor gear and active wear, and we apply them to just an everyday blanket that you can use inside and outside, um, just for general everyday use. And when did you start the company again? Uh, company was founded in the beginning of 2014, February 2014. And so, and if, uh, did you start it in Portland or did you just start it somewhere else and moved here? Is that right? Yeah, started it in San Francisco and moved to Portland in November 17. And I, I, I want to dig into that a little bit because I love that. Uh, and what was the kind of this, the, did you have connections here, family, or what was kind of the impetus for, for you know, moving on up here? Yeah, my wife is from Portland and we had always, you know, visited here and, and uh, visited her family and stuff. And talked about moving up here potentially. Um, and we kind of outgrew our workspace in San Francisco. The, the team was scaling and um, Portland just was a good fit for us in terms of, you know, on the personal side, but also uh, I think that the, the city has received the brand really well. Mm. So that, that was, those are kind of the reasons why we decided Portland was a good fit. Yeah. And at that point, did you have an employees that moved up here or what, how, what was that dynamic like? Yes. So we had eight employees that moved up with us. Um, and uh, like one or two stayed behind, but uh, generally speaking, everybody moved. Wow. Mm -hmm. what, what, what were their thoughts around that? And uh, it's like when you said, hey, we're moving to Portland, were people pretty excited or I mean, or kind of like. Uh, yeah, it was pretty mixed. I mean, I think, you know, San Francisco is a, a tough city to live in if you're not making, you know, pretty yeah. serious money. Mm -hmm. um, and Rumpel, you know, was and still is a small company and we, we can't really pay our employees crazy salaries right now just based on the size of the company. Um, so yeah, I think people got it, you know, it, it, there, there wasn't a huge amount of pushback. We had people kind of move up in stages. So some people, you know, you know, finished their leases or took a little bit of extra time and, and that was fine. It wasn't a big deal at all. 
Um, but eventually everybody's up here now. So when you moved up here, um, did you have kind of inroads? I remember seeing an announcement like in the Portland Business Journal when you moved up here. And did you have inroads to the business community here? Or was it pretty much moving up here because you know, your wife's from here and we'll, we'll get going? Or how was, how was the reception? To Definitely had some inroads. Um, I have two investors that are both from Portland. Um, okay. And so, you know, I had obviously talked to them in advance about the move. Um, and, uh, just, you know, connections I'd met through my wife and, and various other people sort of in the outdoor community, uh, I spoke to quite a bit. So I did have some connections for sure, but, uh, made majority of them after moving up here. Well, let's get into the business a little bit. Um, you, you mentioned you had some investors, so did you, can you share like, uh, how the origin story of raising that money was, I mean, had you been operating for a while or how did that kind of come about uh, as far as the funding of the business? Sure. Sure. The first, so we've, we've actually done three funding rounds. Um, the first was pretty small. Uh, it was mostly friends and family. We did take a couple of, you know, family offices, but generally it was individuals. Uh, that was like a $450,000 round. So, so not huge. Um, and that was done in 2016, about two years after we, we incorporated. Um, that was largely just to, to keep up with, with demand and, and scaling. Um, up until that point, uh, I, I started the business with a co-founder and up until that point, we really hadn't paid ourselves. Uh, we were reinvesting all of our, you know, what would be our salaries back into the business. So it was kind of to, to, uh, you know, just get into a cash position where we could actually hire a couple of other people and, you know, get ahead of production cycles and things like that. Right. Um, and then we did an additional round, uh, which was about $700,000, about a year later. And that was actually sort of an emergency fund round, fundraising round. Um, and, and that was largely because uh, at that point, my, my partner and I had sort of drifted apart and uh, he had a, a very different vision for how we should grow the company than I did. Um, and so ultimately I, I asked him to leave the company mm -hmm. um, and he was really gracious about it and, and understood that, you know, that we can't have really drastically differing opinions about how to do things, but he did demand that we buy back a, a good portion of his equity. So um, had to kind of go back to the original investors and ask for more money and tell them it was for this reason. It wasn't actually for, for growth, um, but I did make the terms pretty attractive to them. So they were all pretty much okay with coming back in and putting more in um, and getting a pretty favorable term on that, on that money. So that went pretty, pretty well. Um, and then uh, our, our true financing round, like our growth financing round was in August of 2018. Um, and that was a proper priced round. The other two were convertible notes, uh, but, but, uh, the round in, in 2018 was a proper priced round with, you know, venture capital and, and all that stuff. So the, the leads from that, uh, are white road investments. Um, it's the, sort of the cliff bar family fortune there. Oh yeah. Um, and then, uh, we also have a bunch of Oregon investors that came in that round too. So Oregon venture fund came in, uh, cascade seed fund, um, a couple of, of individuals came in then as well. So that round I think was like eight or 10 eight or 10 groups that came okay. in and made that round. So I love that. And I love yeah. that a lot of Oregon, um, you know, funds participated. So we can get mm -hmm. into that a little, little later when we dive into Portland. But as far as, uh, running the business, what was your background? I'm sorry. I didn't ask this earlier, but yeah, yeah, were you no from problem. the outdoor space or what, what were you doing before you founded it? Uh, I was as a, as a participant, but not as somebody that worked in the industry. So um, I raced bikes really seriously all through college and okay. did a ton of skiing and surfing and mountain biking and just generally pretty active outside. Um, so I was like really familiar with all the you know brands that were leading the industry and all the, all the key athletes and products and all that stuff. So I had a pretty strong opinion about what I wanted the 
product to be and stand for and the quality and all that. Um, but my background is in branding. So I worked at, a, at an agency, a, a number of agencies actually before uh, starting Rumpel and, um, and all, all sorts of stuff. So, uh, you know, I would do retail environment design, uh, graphic design. Uh, my, my education is actually in architecture. So um, really pretty, pretty broad set of, uh, of creative capacity is the background. Yeah, and I mean, it shows in your products. They're just amazing the, the, the way they're, they're designed. And so are you, um, you didn't have this background in manufacturing, I guess what I'm getting to is, how was that learning curve? I mean, did you? You know, looking back on it, it actually, I mean, it was a lot of time for sure. But looking back on it, it wasn't as tough as some of the other founding stories that I heard of. I mean, the product we make is, is pretty simple, honestly. Um, and uh, so really what we did, my, my co-founder and I, is we found a couple of our friends that worked in the industry. Uh, one in particular that was really helpful to us was a friend that worked in Mountain Hardware. Um, he kind of helped us think about, you know, what we wanted in the product and gave us some like really basic initial terminology around denier and, you know, wovens versus, versus uh, knits and like, you know, what types of coatings and treatments and things we wanted on this fabric. And then he put us in touch with, with a supplier and um, she eventually found the factory that made our first prototypes. We've since moved factories since then, but uh, we, we did have um, a fairly easy time getting a, a working prototype. I mean, it was probably, I don't know, three, four months or something of kind of just, you know, digging around and, and looking for people that we should talk to. But, uh, you know, first go on that prototype was pretty darn close to what you see right now. So that's great. I, yeah. do, I, I have heard these stories of the, you know, uh, products and founders just having a really difficult time in the manufacturing process and, you know, going through multiple manufacturers. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, products where there's like really true innovation and, and development and, you know, new technology you're bringing to life that, that can take a very long time. Rumble is really a brand. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the product itself is so simple. There's a lot of copycats out there and, you know, it's easy to copy the product. Um, but where our strength lies is, is really in the brand and what we stand for and our messaging and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't the, I mean, to date, the product department is still one person at mm -hmm. our company and it, and that's all it takes. And, um, it's probably all it will take for quite some time. So, yeah. And did you start, um, as a direct, a DDC brand straight, or did you go through wholesale first or how was that? We actually started on Kickstarter. Um, oh, so yeah, launched the product on Kickstarter in, like December of 2013 and that wrapped up, uh, in January 14. Um, and from there we, you know, we turned on our website and took a few orders. We actually immediately got picked up by, um, a couple like flash deal sites, you know, like touch of modern and zoo Lily and oh, yeah. uh, Huckberry picked us up really quickly. And, um, so we, we sold product to those, uh, to those stores for, for a while. Um, and actually probably in year, year two, we started to expand a little bit more into wholesale and we hired a friend of ours to be our sales manager. Um, he was actually really effective very quickly. I mean, I think in, you know, two or three months, he got us in about 30 accounts. Um, but what ended up happening at that time is we really didn't have a back end to receive the orders. So, uh, you know, the, the sub reps he had hired would be like sending us cell phone pictures of order forms with <laughs> discounts that we hadn't authorized and all sorts of stuff. Um, and, we just didn't have the back end set up. So, so we decided to actually pull the plug on that before it kind of spun out of control, paused on all wholesale for, uh, for a couple of years, really. Mm -hmm. Um, we did have one person in house for 
you know, two years probably that was just managing our REI business because they also picked us up pretty quickly. Um, so he was mostly managing our REI business. We, we do a good amount of corporate business as well. So companies that want their, you know, logo on the product, mm. um, they'll inquire and, and we'll get that product made to them if they're above a certain minimum threshold. Right. Um, but the, the wholesale footprint was relatively small for a number of years. Um, and then right after the last raise, uh, sort of at the beginning of 2019, we hired a, a VP of sales and we've now hired eight domestic agencies um, that are that are reps for us in the field. And we're growing that channel uh, pretty actively right now. So yeah, it's got to be a, uh, been a pretty tough decision at that point, you, you know, um, to say, hey, we're going to pause on the wholesale accounts so we can get yeah. the back end. I mean, I can imagine... Some founders were like, just grow, 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 grow. Yeah. And you had to kind of, hey, let's let's take the smart and disciplined approach. I'm sure that was kind of tough, right? Yeah, definitely. And at that time, it was about 50% of our revenue. Um, so it was a really pretty significant uh, amount of revenue we were essentially foregoing. Um, and also, not to mention all the conversations that I had to do personally with all of the buyers from these right. accounts. So I called all of them up individually and I said, hey, you know, this is getting a little out of control for us. We don't have the back end built enough to, to support this. Um, we're going to pause. And fortunately, um, most people understood. They had probably experienced some friction in trying to get orders processed with us. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, they kind of understood a lot of those accounts we, we have back now. Um, right. For instance, backcountry.com was, was a prior account and we had to, we had to cancel or pause that. Um, and then they've since come back and, and they're now an active account with us. Um, as long you know, as well as a couple others. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely tough. And, uh, and it, it took a lot of, I mean, like the, the common advice that a lot of people give for early founders is, is say no to as much as you can, right? Mm -hmm. And I would definitely agree that in, in that case, uh, we were saying yes to too much and it, it ballooned out of our control and we couldn't manage everything we had said yes to. So yeah. it, was, it was a good exercise in, in constricting what we were doing. I, I can't imagine that. I mean, I'm sure it'd be pretty tough. I just had a conversation with another founder on the podcast, Ali Shanholt, who I don't know if you know Ali. Oh, yeah. 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 So, she was do anything. A, yeah, from do anything foods, and she had a similar story. And yep. she, I was really impressed by how disciplined. I mean, I, if I were in those shoes, I, was like, I don't know if I'd make the same decision. So, um, so where's the the business now? Sorry, can you say how many like folks you have working for you? Or um, yeah, so we're, we're a team of sixteen. Um, forecasts are a little up in the air right now, given COVID. Um, so I don't necessarily want to share that right now as far yeah. as business size. But we're sixteen employees, so relatively small still. Um, that's all internal, you know, W2 full-time employees. Right. Um, obviously we have a number of people that are working sort of externally as, as consultants. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, 16 full-time in the office and we're about 50% wholesale, uh, about 30, 35% direct, mm -hmm. about eight to 10 is Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, we still have a, a little corporate and group sale division as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we've got a very small international footprint as well. Well, well, let's get into the direct channel. I'm, you know, in light of what's going on right now with you know COVID nineteen, and you kind of mentioned before we started recording that uh, that's channels moving the needle a little more, or mm -hmm. some of the things you're doing. So, can you share how the situation is kind of how your team has kind of dealt with it as far as investing more in the direct channel, some other things you're doing, I guess. Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm I'm just super proud of how I've seen the team adapt to all of this, particularly with some of the actions that have been taken on the direct channel. Um, you know, it, it, it almost feels like the first couple of years of Rumpel where it's like you're maybe not as uh, 
as organized in a lot of your actions, but you're just moving fast. You're iterating, you're trying new things, you know, you're, you're being really scrappy. Um, and there's a level of intensity and urgency that I feel from everyone, which is great. Um, but yeah, the, the direct channel for us is more or less on par with our original forecast. Um, you know, it, it fluctuates from day to day for sure, but, um, it, we're definitely not seeing any signs of a, you know, dramatic decrease mm. in what we had expected at the beginning of the year. Granted right now we're largely off price, you know, like we've done a couple of sales and promotions that we otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, we're actually putting together a, a minimum advertised price break. Um, that we're going to be rolling out to our retailers in a couple of days here um, where, you know, we will allow the marketplace to go off price. Um, so we'll see how that affects things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been going pretty well. I think, I think some of the things that um, I've been most impressed by, this was actually a response to, uh, to supporting our wholesale partners, but we did roll out this program last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago now called the Rumpel Covered Program. And uh, what that program is designed to do is shops that can't process transactions right now, like they only have a brick and mortar store. Um, we're effectively loaning them or not loaning. We're giving them access to our inventory our direct inventory. So mm -hmm. if they have an email list or something, uh, we give them a unique UTM code. They send that code to their email list. Their, their customers can then shop on rumple.com and then we kick 30% of that sale back to the retailer. And we also kick 5% back to the rep that services that account. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool program. I mean, it, it is allowing those stores to still generate revenue. Um, you know, otherwise they, they wouldn't be able to at all. Right. Um, so that's been really, really effective and, and been well received by our customers, their customers, media, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then we've also just been getting really active with other brands that are kind of in, in our space, our size, you know, running a lot of like joint promotions with them. Uh, kind of banding together. Um, we're, we're running a promotion right now called Brands for Better, which is, I don't know when this will air, but <laughs> it's, uh, it goes for a couple of weeks and it's, okay. um, it's basically a, a collection of brands that are, you know, sort of mid-size, small to mid-size and, uh, and doing all they can to kind of get through this and they are, they're offering mutual discounts on each other's sites. So stuff like that. that is just, it's simple stuff, but it's, it's just happening fast and we're, we're, hitting go and, and kicking it off quickly, which I like, I like seeing that speed. Yeah. And you feel like because of what's going on now, like you mentioned, you're doing this with other brands, like there's this community aspect of, Hey, we're in this together. Let's do some joint things. Or, I mean, I, I assume people are open to trying different things now because of what's going on. Yeah, totally. That, that's definitely the vibe that we're getting. Um, and I think that customers are feeling that way as well. You know, I think that when this whole situation started, there was like this immediate rush to get the essentials, right? So people were shopping at, you know, Amazon, Walmart and Target and Home Depot and stuff. And that's all cool for your, your everyday essentials. But I think that uh, what ended up happening is, is a lot of the smaller, sort of, you know, more boutique brands that aren't necessarily producing essential items, uh, they, they didn't necessarily see a, a positive uptick at all during those first few weeks. I mean, if anything, it was like kind of a frozen landscape. So I think that a lot of the messaging that I'm seeing coming out now from small to mid-sized companies is like, Hey, you know, we're still here. We're still, we'll still, we're still operating our business and um, we still have these products and still care about you. And I think that customers are actually realizing, okay, I need to get back to focusing on these brands that I like and that I care about that I want to see succeed. Amazon will be fine. Home Depot will be fine. I have all my essentials covered now. So now I'm trying to like give back with my wallet, I guess, Absolutely. for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I'm seeing that. I'm feeling that same way myself now that we're, you know, it feels like 
five years, but three or four weeks into it, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so what's kind of what can you share about what's kind of what's next? I mean, obviously, you're we're working through this. The landscape now just affecting a lot of different types of businesses. But um, maybe from a brand perspective, what do you what do you think about uh, you know, what's next for your brand or some different things you're going to do? I mean, as far as what's next for the brand, um, I would say there's not a not a material change to how we're, how we're operating, um, you know, from, from a consumer standpoint, at least one thing we are doing, um, pretty actively is, is adjusting our messaging a little bit. Um, you know, our, our sort of pitch, I guess, to customers used to be like, use our products to get outside and kind of like experience self-actualization out in the wild and, you know, boost your esteem and really, really get out there and be all you can be, so to speak. And we're, we're, moving more of the messaging into like, you know, use our products for safety, comfort, belonging, those sort of like more human qualities that, uh, that I think come a little bit lower on the, you know, Maslow's Mm -hmm. pyramid of of needs. Um, but that's, that's sort of a gradual adjustment we're making to our messaging and copy. One thing that we are doing on the operational side is just reducing the the volume of product that we're buying, deleveraging our, our inventory position a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anticipating that sales are going to be a little bit lower and not putting as much of our cash into inventory. Um, but that's all like pretty minutia stuff to the, to the customer. Not a lot of that will be super visible. So, well, I think to your first point of what you're doing though, I think it's a great, um, opportunity to acquire customers that maybe are not so maybe weren't so much in the, in the outdoor activities space. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it seems like a, a great thing you're doing to acquire new your customers your brand. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting. One of the, you know, one of the newer channels that has um, shown some good activity during this time is like our group sales channel. Mm-hmm. So group or corporate sales. I think that there's, I think there's probably a lot of employers that now have, you know, displaced work from home employees and they want to get them some nice gift or something. And right. Rumble's great for that because there's no, you know, if you're buying a piece of apparel, you got to get everybody's size and figure that all out. But with this, it's just like, you know, they can easily purchase it. It's, it, it sort of symbolizes comfort and affection, you know, a blanket. So, uh, we are seeing that kind of uptick a little bit, which is interesting. And I think that that speaks to the, to the comment I made about just reconnecting with like this love and belonging and comfort, uh, messaging. Absolutely. And is that, has that, uh, happened organically or have you, your team kind of started correcting? We're starting to push on it a little bit more for sure. Uh, it did originally happen organically. I mean, we've always had a, you know, a small division of the business that's, that's corporate sales, right. corporate or group sales, um, and, uh, or promo. Yep. And so, uh, you know, it, we've always had the infrastructure to service it, but we are seeing new demand come in now from people, um, specifically looking to get gifts for their work from home employees. Whereas before it was more like we have a event or something and we want this product with a, with a logo embellishment on it. But now it's just purely a gift for their employees, which is interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's, you know, a couple of quick questions. I always like to end with talking about Portland. Uh, you moved up here to start the business. I know you mentioned, you know, Ali, I know Jason, uh, Bolt, you know, gave me your information. So it seems like a pretty tight community for entrepreneurs here, just in general, the business community. So how, how, how has it been? And maybe for you, and it's a multi-part question, you personally just connecting with other founders to, to share and kind of what you're going through as, as far as you know, running a company. Yeah. I mean, like in general, the, the business and support community in, in Portland is awesome. Um, one, I would say the biggest thing that I noticed immediately when we moved up from San Francisco is that in Portland, a business like Rumpel at Rumpel size and Rumpel's 
uh, industry and category is an exciting brand in Portland. You know, it's an exciting company in Portland. And in San Francisco, uh, it just was sort of dwarfed by, you know, these massive tech companies that are scaling at 100x year over year. And I mean, that's exciting. So I get why the media is focusing on those companies. But here, you know, you mentioned, I think before we started recording that you saw a little article posted right when we moved. I mean, that happened within like a week of moving up here. You know, it was like awesome. the Portland Business Journal was, was on it because uh, that type of activity for, you know, a brand like Rumpel coming to Portland is exciting around here. Um, and so it's been super supportive. Um, there have been so many good resources and, and uh, you know, just mentors and advisors offered to help me and, and help the company. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a small tight knit community. You know, there's, it's, it's definitely still a, a, a active scene, but there's, there's fewer startup companies here than there would be in say San Francisco. So I know a lot of the founders I feel like, and, and a lot of the CEOs and executives are, are very open to talking and, um, it's not as guarded. You know, I think that, uh, in, in like San Francisco and New York, there's a little bit more like trade secret protection and it's a little bit more competitive and, um, that also yields, you know, a really competitive workforce, which is beneficial, of course. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, generally speaking, Portland is a great place to have a, a small business, especially an outdoor business. Um, so I've, I've really liked it. And have you been able to connect with, I mean, some of the just companies in that make retail products or products like the big people thinking of Nike, Adidas, even like Akeem, uh, have you met a lot of those folks that have been supportive or? Definitely Keen. I mean, Keen is, Keen is outdoor, you know, Rumpel is, is rooted in the outdoor space. Yeah. We, you know, that's largely where our customers are. Um, not so much Nike, uh, definitely have, have met a couple of folks from Nike, um, that, that were, uh, it was really cool to meet him. I met, I met, uh, John Hoke recently, the, the um, chief design officer. Whoa. Um, he lives right up the street from our office and he stopped by and came in and, and, uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool to have sort of like a C-suite Nike person coming through and checking out Rumpel. Uh, cool. I haven't, haven't met many people from Adidas. Um, but you know, I think, I think footwear is just with the exception of Keen again, because it's, you know, an outdoor company, but footwear is just a whole different beast. And it's, it's not, there's not that much overlap with Rumble. You know, I don't know that we'd necessarily be sold in the same stores and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm yeah. a huge fan of Keen. I know multiple people that work there and just, I'm, I was always impressed just by their values. And, uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, I could see them aligning really well with, uh, your team. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm also just impressed by the speed that they've grown at, you know, I mean, they're, they're, I don't know how many hundred employees, um, and how many hundreds of millions of revenue, but I mean, they've, they're, I don't know, 15 years old, 16 years old, something like that. And they've just done a really good job. So, uh, it's an, regardless of what they're making, the, the business itself has scaled super fast and it's really impressive. Mm -hmm. Well, Wiley, thanks so much for, for, for being on. I hope you you and your family are you're saying well, I mentioned you mentioned you have a little one at home too, so yep. uh, we're all working from home and, and managing that. So uh, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well. 